If you'll open your Bibles with me this morning, we are going to be in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, and we're going to be continuing in a sermon series that we've titled, We Do Our Part and God Does His Part. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on the mission. The mission that we have all been given individually and the mission that we have been given corporately as a church. What is the mission? The mission of us, the mission of the church. Our mission as a church is to spread the good news of Jesus. And, and that mission, it comes from the Great Commission, which gives 11 men. We see the Great Commission five times in the New Testament, and Jesus gave this commission to 11 men, and he told them to go to all the corners of the world and to make disciples of all nations, teaching them about Jesus. That's the great commission that leads us into our mission. At a church level, it seems like we might be able to do all of that. But individually, what do we do? What do we do in our lives that consist of back and forth to work? right? Dropping off the kids at daycare, uh, of, of paying this bill and that bill, and, and not having enough time to read our Bible, much less go on a missions trip to tell other people about Jesus. What do we do as individuals? What is our part? The Great Commission and the mission of the church sometimes seems like it's, it's way too vague, like it's way too big, it's too in-depth, it requires more than you have to fulfill the, the entire commission that is simply not within your scope. And you can't accomplish this, and you're right, you can't accomplish this on your own. We were never told to accomplish the mission of the gospel on our own. We were, we were never asked to do all of the work if our mission as a church is to spread the good news of Jesus to all the areas of the earth, and we realize that our job is bigger than we can do individually, then what is our part individually? What are we supposed to do? Mission, at the very least, it involves being sent from one place to somewhere else. Mission requires intentionality. Mission requires planning. Sometimes we like to self-define for ourselves. We like to tell ourselves this is what we're going to do, and we tell God that you could pick up the rest, right? And we, we just let ourselves, we give ourselves a box, and we say, we are the ones who are going to create the master plan of our individual mission. And let me, let me tell you something. We are not the ones who are to make that master plan. God is the one who draws up the plans, not us. If you're trying to accomplish the mission of the church without God, all you have is you. God never asked us to accomplish the mission of us. He asked us to accomplish the mission of him, the mission to tell others about Jesus. He asked us to go on mission, but we're not the focus individually. 
The Apostle Paul went on three major missionary journeys, and we see in Paul's journeys, just like in our missions work, when, when we are doing missions work, that there is going to be resistance. And the resistance to Paul would have cost him his life if, if God wasn't with him. In Acts chapter 14, I'm going to back up a couple of chapters from what we're studying right now. Paul is in a city called Lystria, and he was preaching in the Jewish synagogue, and there are Jews that are hearing Paul, and they are coming to Christ. They are listening to him, but in Paul's ministry, there were people following him around. There were Jews following him around, and they would go into a town that Paul was at, and here this happened these other Jews following him around, they convinced the locals in Lystria to kill Paul. And so they start stoning Paul. And they throw him outside the city, and his limp body is just like a dead animal outside the city gates. And that's when Paul's disciples come and get him and, and, and kind of carry him off. And then they head off to the city of Derby, and I want to pick this up. We're in Acts chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse number 21. Luke writes this. He says, After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch of Poseidon, and they, were strength, and they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. That is the definition of mission. We see in verse number 21, Paul planned and he intended to create new converts. Verse number 21, it says this. It says, when they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples. So, converts. Paul also was intentional in creating new communities of believers in, within the community this, that he was teaching. Verse 23, it said, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church. You see how they're growing? And finally, Paul had the mission to nurture the churches and the believers that were within his grasp, that were within the city. Verse number 22, it said, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them and con to continue in the faith. So now that we have this definition and this example of mission from the Apostle Paul, we can see that we have a job to intentionally tell others about Jesus, to create new communities of believers, and to strengthen those who are already within God's care. Having this definition, now we're going to take a look at a part of one of Paul's missionary journeys in Acts chapter 16. Follow me to Acts 16 if you have your Bibles with you. We're going to start in verse number 1. This is important to know. We are starting in verse number 1, but we are four years later after what we just read in Acts 14. Four years after Paul had been beaten by the people in Lystria. Now, let me just ask a question before we get here. I think it would be fair to say that if you were planning a trip and you mapped out your destination and all the roads that you were going to take, 
If you saw on your route was the city that you were beat to a pulp in four years ago, you might avoid that city, right? You know, it, it, Paul could have seen Lystria on his map and said, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, nope, he might have PTSD, like kicking in, like a panic attack. I'm not going there. Because the last time I was there, I was beat really bad. You don't forget things like that. Let's pick up the action. Four years after, Paul was brutally attacked and tossed outside the city like a dead animal. We're in Acts chapter 16, I'm starting in verse number 1. It says, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystria, where there was a a young disciple named Timothy. Timothy's mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystria and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew larger every day. Let's start taking some notes. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see some fill-in-the-blanks. I'm going to give you those. They're going to be up here on the screen. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. Our part, growing, sorry, going, growing, supporting, and increasing. Our part, going. When Paul came back to Lystria, he found a a boy, he found an adolescent, a a young man, maybe in his early 20s. This is Timothy. And Timothy is now going to follow Paul on the rest of, of many of Paul's journeys. One of the first things that Paul is going to teach Timothy is that in order to accomplish the mission, our part is going and growing. Earlier, when Paul had been to Lystria, last time he was there four years ago, Timothy wasn't ready to join Paul. Paul didn't even know him. God did, though. See, God had been working on Timothy for years to be an apprentice, a disciple under Paul. If Paul would have decided that he was not going back to Lystria, because that's a place that he was beaten, bad memories there. If Paul would have decided he wasn't going to go, he would not have met Timothy. And he would not have been able to teach him and send him and grow him. See, that's what happens when we decide that we are in control. When we tell ourselves that we can chart our own path. Have you heard that one? That, that we, can, we can sow our own oats, or maybe we can set our own sails. The world likes to tell you, you know what, it's all yours. You just, you just plan your own trip. No, our part is to go and to grow. I want you to look at the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28. I'm going to read verses 19 and 20. Matthew writes this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Bible tells us to go. It tells us what to do when we get there. And it tells us that we're not alone. We see this in 
Psalm 96, verse number 3 says, Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things that he has done. That is our part to go. Some of us, and I'll be honest, I'm probably in this group of people, fall into this category where we refuse or we have refused to move sometimes until we know all of the answers, until everything is laid out in front of us. We refuse to to walk without knowing where we are going. We refuse to talk without doing all of the research into who we're supposed to be talking to, what we're supposed to be saying, all while God is behind us telling us to go. He's telling us to leave. He's telling us to get to work. He knows that some of us use the excuse of planning not to work. Yeah, planning is important, but follow me back into Acts 16. I'm going to start in verse number 6. Watch this. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north into the province of uh, Bethania. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mycenae to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Here's point number two in your notes this morning. This is so important. God's part, opening and closing doors. God's part, opening and closing doors. Let me ask you this. How many times have you tried to open doors that God has locked shut? How many times have you tried to close doors that God has swung wide open? Verse 6 says that the Holy Spirit literally prevented them, Paul, from preaching the word in Asia. It sounds kind of strange that God would prevent anyone from preaching the good news someplace, right? I know it sounds strange, but not to the master planner. See, we are not the master planner. Probably the master planner has a good reason. Maybe, just maybe, the planner wants you somewhere else right now. For some reason, he did not want Paul and Silas to go to Asia. He wanted them in Macedonia. But sometimes we fight and we force ourselves to work in Asia when that's not where God wants us right now. Even though we want to preach and to minister in Asia, God has something in store for us in Macedonia. He's the one opening doors. He's the one closing doors. It's up to us to realize that there is an open door. If there's a closed door, you know what we do? We start turning around. We start walking around and looking for that open door. We find that open door. That means we're going to have to pray a lot. 
I want you to see what the Apostle John writes in the book of Revelation. I'm in Revelation 3, verses 7 and 8. He writes this, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the king, the king of David. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, you've heard this before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you what paths to take. You see who the planner is? See, this is the difference between doing what you want to do and doing what God wants you to do. Let's face it, in ministry, what we want to do is that thing that really excites us. What we want to do is, that, is be part of that ministry that really stirs our soul, that, that ministry. We know we are the perfect person for this. But I wonder if you turn to the left or if you turn to the right and you look down this dark hallway, and I wonder if you can see down there, coming out of a room, I wonder if you can see light down there. Maybe God has opened a door down that hallway and he's opened the door while you're sitting here banging on a door that is locked. Let me ask you, what would happen if you, with all of your might, were able to push open a door that God has locked? What do you think that you're going to find once you get into that room? Maybe some old dusty stuff? Maybe a, just a, a plain empty room? Maybe there's no one there? Maybe... It's not what you had expected at all. Remember, we don't need to know what God's reasons are for sending us where we are going. But I can tell you that, that he knows your skill set better than you know your skill set, and he has plans for you and your gift somewhere. Our part is not to open and close doors. That's God's part. Our part is to find open doors and walk through them. Come back with me to Acts 16. In verse number 11, Luke writes this. So we boarded a boat to Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And then the next day we landed at Neapolis, sorry, from there, we reached Philippi, a major city in the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to the riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting in prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. Let's write this down. This is point number three in your notes this morning. Our part, reaching and teaching beyond our current grasp. Reaching and teaching beyond our current grasp. In verse 13, Paul and the guys go down to the riverbank. Whenever Paul came into a new city on his missionary journeys, the first place that Paul would go would be to the synagogue. He was looking for Jews, typically on a Saturday. That's when they all come together. So he would go there 
But if there wasn't a synagogue, he'd go to the riverbank. Now, if we go back into the Old Testament and we look all the way back when the Israelites were captive in Babylon, that's where we see the idea of the synagogue come into place. Before then, all the Jews would go to the temple. They would all come together at the temple. But when they were in captivity and scattered among different cities, what they had to do was create churches in all of the little cities. These were synagogues. And in order to create a synagogue, you had to have 10 men to form a synagogue in that city, which typically would mean 10 families. And if you didn't have 10 men or 10 families, you couldn't have a synagogue. And what would happen is the believers, the God-fearers, would meet at the riverbank. It was like the secret code. Hey, there's no synagogue in this town. We're all going to meet down at the riverbank. And that's where they would go. Here's the application. We see Paul and Timothy and Luke and the rest of the men on the journey. They didn't make plans to go around to minister to women at a riverbank. They set out to, to minister, but they let God do the planning. In this case, God put some women in front of them. Now, I wasn't there. But I can almost guarantee you that Paul did not go and watch a bunch of YouTube videos on how to properly lead a women's ministry and then come with best practices before he walked to the riverbank to talk to women about Jesus. I don't think that Paul did that. He just went with a readiness and a willingness to teach. And, th and this is so cool because he is actually, as he's teaching them, he's also teaching Timothy the importance of being ready to teach whoever it is that God puts in your path. Paul actually writes this to Timothy later as he writes letters to Timothy that end up in our Bible in 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 4, verse number 5. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, But you should keep a clear mind in every situation, and don't be afraid of the suffering of the Lord's work. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Who gives the ministry? God. Paul is telling Timothy to keep your mind ready. He actually says keep a sober mind, which means don't be drunk when it's time to talk about Jesus, which is pretty much at any time, right? He says, know that the work is hard. Be ready to carry out the ministry of God that he has given you and be ready for any situation that might come up. Which means you have to be ready to turn left and you have to be ready to turn right whenever God changes the direction because he is the planner. Paul himself was eager at one point to go and see to go and see a church. He was very eager to go to Rome. He had written about this. He actually writes this in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to put that up on the screen. Paul writes, For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go there and see the believers and meet the believers and talk to them and encourage them. That was Paul's desire. But we see towards the end of the book of Acts, 
that Paul does end up in Rome, but not as a preacher. He didn't end up there the way he wanted to end up there. He ends up in Rome as a prisoner in chains. He got where he wanted to go, but he got there at God's will, on God's plan. Come back with me to Acts 16. I want you to see the conclusion of our narrative this morning. And I want you to see what God had been working on that Paul didn't know about. Verse number 14 says, One of them, one of the women, was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer of the Lord, come and stay at my house, she urged them, until we agreed. Here's the fourth and final point in your notes this morning, and this is so important. God's part, breaking hard hearts wide open. God's part, breaking hard hearts wide open. Lydia came from money. She sold purple dye. That would put her in a position of selling to royalty. This was a pretty good commodity to be involved in. She's in the wealthy class, but she's a Gentile. She's not a Jew. But at some point before Paul had met her, she had started following God. She had started learning about God. She was following the God of the Jews. Paul shows up and starts teaching by the river not because of anything that Paul did, not because of anything that Paul did that Lydia accepts his message. No, Scripture tells us that the Lord opened her heart. Paul didn't open her heart. All Paul did was his job. The Lord opened her heart. You can come here to church on Sunday mornings and you can listen to me and you can still walk away with a very cold, hard heart. You can show up to Bible study and, and you can go through all the motions and, and, and I'm never going to be able to open a hard heart. Only God can do that. You might be a teacher of a small group and you might... You might feel like you're not getting through to the people in your group. That happens. Just discouragement happens. I know that. But that's where prayer comes in. We're praying to God to open hearts because we know that God can do it and we know that we can't do it because that's not our part. That's God's part. Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 15, Paul writes this. He says, And I pray that your hearts will be flooded with the light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called, his holy people who are in his rich and glorious inheritance. See, Paul is literally praying for God to flood hearts with light. Bring the waters, the flood waters of light into these hearts, God. 
because that's your job. God, that's your part. I know that you could do it. I'm praying for these people. But see, the only reason that God could, or Paul can pray that prayer to God and ask God to do his part is because Paul knows that he has done his part, right? Paul has done his work. So what is our part? Well, it's being ready to talk to anybody. Let me ask you, how many people on your street have you invited to church recently? Just think about it. You don't have to say a number out loud. You don't have to. Literally, I want you to think. How many people on your street have you invited to church recently? How many people have you gone and knocked on their door and said, I'm your neighbor down the street. You don't know me, but I want to invite you to church. See, it is our part to be ready to teach. It's our part to be ready to go. It's our part to bring people into the house of God so that God can do his part. Amen? Sometimes we wait. We, we wait for God to open a door for us, and while we're waiting, we sit staring at a closed door. And many times that closed door is our front door. You know what happens? We get home from church, we walk in the house, and we close the door, and we just look at the back of the door. It's us that closed it, and we haven't gone back outside that door to knock on doors and to invite other people to church. You know that there is an open door in your house. It takes turning the knob and walking outside and inviting other people to church. Amen? You've heard this before, but I want to read it to you again. It's from Romans chapter 10. Verse number 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him? to save them unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. That is our job to have beautiful feet, to spread the good news. If you're sitting here this morning, or if you are watching online, or listening to the podcast, or watching this video another time during the week, if you are hearing this, you're hearing this for some reason. It is because you are part of the mission. You don't have to do all of the work, but you do have a part in the mission. It's our part, it's our job to go and to reach beyond those who we already have within our grasp. I want you to look at your hands. Put your hands out like this. Literally, seriously, put them out. If you were to take an ink pen and if you were to write the names on your hand of all the people who you have brought to church, would there be any space left on your hands? If your hands aren't full, then we have a mission to accomplish. Amen? I don't know if you've ever been there out in the driveway when the kids are helping unload groceries. You've got all these bags of groceries on your arms. You've got like 19 bags here and 19 bags here because you know you're going to get this done in one trip, right? <laughs> but, and then you see the kids, they're walking in carrying an orange. It's like, can you carry any more? It's like, no, my hands are full. Your hands aren't full. 
they go back and they get a potato or they go get a box of Kleenex. Ladies and gentlemen, our hands are not full. We are still on mission. That's my challenge this week, is for us and for you to search for souls. That's our mission. Last week we talked about not coming to the Lord's house empty-handed, to bring Him a gift. That is our part. This week, I challenge you next week to come, not to bring not to come to the Lord's house empty-handed. There should be names on your hand. Amen? There's somebody who we can invite. That is our job. We want to make sure that when we come to the Lord's house that we bring to Him part of the harvest of souls. Finally, I want to review something that Luke wrote in Luke chapter 10. Luke writes this. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples, and he sent them ahead in pairs to all of the towns and places that he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. Did you see who's in charge of the harvest? God. The Lord is in charge of the harvest, but there are missionaries in the missions field right now. I'm not talking about the missions field somewhere in Africa. I'm talking about the missions field right here in Paris. There are missionaries who are begging and who are praying for help. They're in the trenches right now, and they're praying, Lord, please send more help. We need workers here. The harvest is great, but the workers are you. There's people on your block who desperately want to and need to hear the good news of Jesus. And there are workers somewhere right now who are begging for you to join them on mission in our city. That's our part. It's to find names who are not currently written on your hand and invite them to church. That's my challenge to you this week, is to find somebody from your street or somebody from your work or somebody at your school and invite them to church next Sunday. And let me tell you something, it's going to be somewhat uncomfortable. And that's okay. Your job is not to break the hearts wide open. That's God's job. He'll do that. It's our job to simply go and instruct and to teach. But going is so important. That requires us to leave our comfort zone. And sometimes it requires us to simply walk right out of our house. This morning I pray that you'll start asking God where it is that he wants you to be in ministry instead of telling God where you want to be in ministry. Just ask God because he probably has bigger plans for you than you can even think of. He has plans for you to reach people who you don't even know of, to do work in a mission field that you know nothing about, 
and to reach souls that you don't even know about right now. But it's his harvest, and we are his workers. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.